Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Christopher Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. Our final message for the year, which is uh, a really good way to wrap up this year as we look into next year on how to live a life that embodies our faith in Jesus Christ. We want to thank everybody who came out for our Outreach to the Homeless, the day after Christmas down in New Orleans, where we distributed a bunch of coats to people, and it looks like we'll be doing another one of those at the end of January as well, so if you missed uh, the one this week, uh, come out with us. It was an awesome time. So let's head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17, the reading of God's word today. Let's read it out together. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. You can have a seat. So if you're here this morning, you have likely survived the holidays, or you're, you're, you're recovering from the holidays, or a little bit of both. Um, I have to say, my Christmas is really, I love, I love Christmas. I, I love Christmas music. I love the whole thing. But it's an exhausting season. I am ready to go back to just the regular old congested traffic instead of this hyper-congested traffic that we've had for the last month. I'm ready for things to calm down. It really took me till Christmas morning to get in any kind of really reflective place over the season because it just seems like I've, I've literally had something every night of the week for three weeks. And uh, so I just found uh, Christmas morning just kind of leaning into the peace of God and, and, and just kind of taking a breath. But one of the things I like about Christmas, even in modern America, with all its problems, you know, it's, it's as much a secular holiday as a Christian holiday, and there's all kinds of consumer stuff that I hate. But one thing I have noticed is Christmas is one of the few times of the year where people, just in general, do seem to be a little bit more considerate, a little bit more generous. Uh, you know, it, it may not last very long, but, but people do seem to be nicer, 
But the problem with the way that our world celebrates Christmas is that we tend to leave Christmas in this little Christmas box that's in December. And it's something that, that we enjoy, we look forward to, but as soon as we get a couple of days beyond it, we pack up the Christmas ornaments and the lights and the stockings, and, and we, we just push that behind us, and it has no uh, bearing on the lives that we live. And I think that the, the greatest uh, travesty for us as the church would be if that's the way we approach this season. If it was just a time where we got together, we were inspired by what Jesus did, we gave gifts to one another, that's all good. But if we leave it there, then we've really missed uh, what this whole thing's about. Eugene Peterson, uh, one of my favorite authors, he wrote this book, uh, a memoir of his life called The Pastor. He said, why is it that he said, Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Why is it that so many pastors are experts on truth but dropouts on the way? <laughs> you know, we, 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 we tend to know all kinds of answers on theology and doctrine and all the things that we, that we need to, to, to have positions on, but we miss the ways of Jesus, <laughs> And see, one of the things about the incarnation that I love is that it's not just, it it is inspirational, but it's not just inspirational. Jesus actually shows us, he reveals to us the way that God actually works. I mean, God could have saved the world any way he wanted to. You know, God could have said, Jesus could have said, Dad, beam me down, and he could have come down and, and just been here in person without having to go through growing up as a kid, being a teenager, whatever. Uh, they didn't have teenagers in the first century. Um, <laughs> but he could have come just, just fully formed with a megaphone and, and just said, boom, I'm Jesus. Uh, let's get on with this thing. But what does it say about God that he chose to descend into the, to the womb of a woman, to, for Jesus to, to be put together in the womb, to spend nine months in the womb, to go through the birthing process, to be a baby that was dependent on his mother for food, for clothing, to have his first century version of diapers changed, to have to learn how to speak the language to grow up facing all the things that we face as normal human beings, to, to do that for 30 years before he ever did a miracle, <laughs> before he ever preached a message showing his sol- solidarity with our humanity. What does this say about God? But more than that, what does it say about how the, the ways that God is inviting us into uh, living out this kingdom ministry? And I love this passage from the lectionary today because I can't think of a better passage to close out 2015 and to step into the new year. Because to me, this passage, it jumps off of, uh, okay, here's what Jesus did. Now here's what we do to live in that light, to live out the ways of Jesus, to live an incarnational life like Jesus did moving forward. I think one of the, the sad things to me about the, the Western church in America is that we have oftentimes made Christianity about believing right things. Um, that I, I mean, I grew up in kind of evangelical traditions, and, and it was pretty much you, you come to the altar, you, you pray the prayer for salvation so you can go somewhere else when you die. And, and, and we, we have, we, we've made this kind of disembodied faith that it's all just simply about giving mental assent to certain ideas. And if you, if you go up to the, 
if you get hit by a Mack truck when you, when you leave here uh, and you stand before the pearly gates, uh, Peter's going to ask you some Bible trivia questions, and you've got to have the right position on a few, th- few of those things. And I think that that's actually the way many people understand faith, that that's all Jesus came for was so we can go somewhere else when we're dead. But that's not. Jesus didn't come so that we could go to heaven when we die, but so that heaven could be loosed in our hearts, so that we could actually be a part of the inbreaking of his kingdom into our world. We can actually, uh, yes, go to heaven when it's all over, but, but in the end, heaven's coming to earth. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. We get to have a taste of that in the here and now, and that's what God has called us to. So, before I want to get into the passage today, I want to give a little context because Paul writes a good bit um, before this. And I want to remind you that I've said this on several occasions when we've been in Philippians. um, But Colossians is another letter that Paul wrote when he was in prison. He was uh, not sitting in some, you know, ivory tower, worldwide ministry, disseminating nice letters. He's in prison. He's on death row. If anybody could be bitter and angry about his lot in life, it would be Paul. And yet, he's writing (laughs) these kinds of words. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, Oh, no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, and this gets into the passage we read earlier, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I know that's a big chunk of scripture, but here's the, here's what I want to get at. Imagine two cities, two different communities. One is, is built around and, 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 uh, uh, shows forth, uh, the first things that Paul's talking about. It's, it's all about sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, um, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Imagine that there's one community that, is, that embodies those traits. And imagine that there's another town that embodies what Paul talks about later on here, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and forgiveness. Which of those communities would you rather live in? That'll take too long to answer. <laughs> number one or number two? <laughs> number two. 
I mean, you might want to visit Sin City sometime. <laughs> Las Vegas may be a fun place to visit, but I don't know. I've never met anybody in my life. I mean, I'm sure there's people. Obviously, Las Vegas is a city. But I don't meet a whole lot of people who are like, man, I'm, I'm looking to settle down, get married, raise a family. I want to move to Vegas. Right? <laughs> now, some of you may think, well, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's, that sounds great, but it sounds kind of boring. It sounds kind of wimpy. <laughs> like everybody's just nice. Uh, no. <laughs> That's not what Paul is getting at. He's not just getting at that it's just a a bunch of nice people just being nice. These are two different realities. They're two different realities. C.S. Lewis, if you ever get a chance to read The Great Divorce, super book. It's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis books, and it's an easy one to read. And it's on audiobook, and the audiobook's amazing. Uh, It's read by this great English guy. Um, But... In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis actually sees these two different realities. Uh, he, he kind of, it's a book about the afterlife. And, and representing hell, he sees this place that, that they call the, the gray town. And in the opening of the book, he's, he's descending into gray town on this flying bus. And this gray town represents hell. And it's just uh, homes everywhere, like an endless subdivision. These homes just go on as far as the eye can see. But as he, as he goes into the town, he realizes that most of these houses are empty because the people in hell can't get along with each other. So they keep moving further and further apart from one another. See, the way C.S. Lewis sees it, and I, I really do believe there's truth to this, that, that we get on a trajectory in our life. And, and based on the choices, the way that we respond to God, the way that we respond to life, we, we keep heading in a direction that either takes us to more love, more compassion, more mercy, or it takes us into resentment and jealousy and, and hardness of heart. And C.S. Lewis sees it that the people in hell, the, the things that they began in this, this life, it, the, the, the pride in their hearts... The, the anger, the resentment's not dealt with. Ultimately, they end up compromising their will so much that they can't respond to the offer of heaven when it's given. See, C.S. Lewis, he, he pulls this, this interesting thing in there because in heaven, he actually sees that heaven is a possibility that's open to, to, to people after death, you know? And so the people from hell, they, they come up to heaven once in a while, and, and their relatives and their friends come out there, and they try to plead with them to come in. But the people from hell, they, they can't because they're so proud. They, they see the, the offer is beneath them. I can't respond to you. It's not fair. I don't want to live in a place like that with all you goody two-shoes. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts this because have you ever known anyone in your life who was so eaten up with resentment, with jealousy, with anger, that they couldn't respond to goodness when it was in front of them. You ever know anybody like that? Yeah. That's a sad thing. That's hell on earth, people. <laughs> That's hell on earth. Uh, I, I had a relative who, 
I remember even as a child, I mean, she was just so eaten up with, 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 with unforgiveness and bitterness that even as a child, when I'd say, I love you, she couldn't even say, I love you back. And the older she got, the, the more narrow her world got until there was hardly anybody who could enter into it. She was alone. C.S. Lewis actually sees that the people in hell are actually ghosts. They're shadows of their former selves. And isn't that what sin actually does to us? It makes us less than what God created to be. And he sees that, 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 that this path, this trajectory that is defined by sin actually takes you to a place where you become less than human. But he sees the people in heaven and they're more substantial. They're more fully human. They, they're, they're, they're solid. <laughs> There's something to them. There's weight. Paul kind of shows us two different realities that we can live in. And one, I would say, is just the, it's the living out the kingdom of God reality in this world. Now, it might be easy looking at the front part of this list where Paul says, put to death these things, to just think that this is all about sin management. I've grown up in churches that were all about the gospel of sin management. You know, just, you know, don't drink, don't curse, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. And uh, <laughs> and oftentimes, and you may have been in churches like this before, there's a lot of them out there, they are defined more by what they are against than what they are for. There's entire groups of people that, uh, yeah, we don't have any solutions for anything, but we know what we're against, and we're defined by that, and that's kind of the thing that holds our community together. Um, you could follow the first part of this list that, you know, where Paul says put to death, sexual immorality, anger, malice, these things. You could do that in a way that is just trying to manage sin, trying not to do these things. But oftentimes, you know, so there, there are groups of people that, that, that major on morals. But oftentimes they miss the other things that he talks about, like uh, they become communities of slander and spiritual pride. And so Paul isn't saying that we just try to stop sinning. Actually, Paul, Paul is saying, you know, put that stuff to death because your real life is in Christ. He offers a compelling vision. And I think that this is where it gets very helpful. It's not that we're just trying not to do something. Because, I don't know, you know, if somebody tells me, don't eat the cookies in the cookie jar, then I'm going to be like, Okay, don't eat the cookies in the cookie jar. You know, and then, I, then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm focused on not eating the cookies in the cookie jar. Then pretty soon, I can taste them. And then I'm fantasizing about them. And then, then it, you know, all bets are off. Uh, <laughs> it's not just trying not to sin. It's learning how to live out this new reality. And I would say that, that Paul's recommendation for this in this letter, I mean, he's speaking to a group of people. He's not speaking to individual people having our own little quiet times trying to do these things. He's speaking to a community of people who are practicing these things together. Together. And I think that, that what this shows us is that there are kind of a few different camps that I've seen in church. There's the moralistic crowd that defines themselves against certain sins. But then I see people, you know, it's become quite popular in 
recent years, uh, hyper, hyper grace movement, which is just, hey, man, it's, it's just all God. And I'm a big grace guy. I, I believe in the grace of God. I'm a, I'm a testament of the grace of God. But there's oftentimes we commute, communicate this idea that if you just follow God, then you're just going to change like that. And, and almost, I think it's a Protestant kind of reaction to, like, Catholic, you know, the Catholicism of the, of the Middle Ages, which was all about works, you know, working to get your salvation. So we got, oh, no, we, you don't need to do anything. It's just all God's grace. Uh, I do believe God is totally gracious, forgives you. But I think what Paul is getting at here and why he says that we need to put these things on, why we need to actually practice these things is because I think it's like anything else in our life. <laughs> And I think that the incarnation also kind of informs us. Again, going back to what I said at the beginning, God could have rescued us any way he wanted. But God, what we see in the incarnation and what we see in the ministry of Jesus, God will not do anything to change this world apart from our involvement. God involves us. I mean, he delights in involving people in his work. A lot of people think God is a control freak. But think about this. Jesus gets 12 knuckleheads. Probably nobody, any of us would pick to run a business or run anything. A bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, some kind of people on the edge of society. He, he spends three years with these guys, and he's like, okay, guys, yeah, y'all go do it. Y'all, y'all rescue the rest of the world. What? Are you kidding me, Jesus? God, the, the incarnation demonstrates to us that God does things by partnering with us. Is it God who changes things? Yes. <laughs> but he requires our response, our participation. He delights in that. That's the way his kingdom works. And so when it gets to um, these aspects of, of, of kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience, I can tell you from my own experience, when I first became a Christian, I thought that those things were going to naturally happen in me. And I realized very quickly, like... I didn't become a more loving person, like right off the bat. If some of y'all did, please pray for me at the end. I'll, I'll wait up here. <laughs> I did not instantly just become more loving just because I had given my life to Christ. Now, certain things, I certainly had more hope. My, my, my view on things changed, but my character didn't change a whole lot. I think that when it comes to these things that Paul is talking about here, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, these are things that we have to actually practice. I play music, uh, not just in the church, but outside the church. And this Tuesday night, I'll, I'll have a, a practice with my band for a gig that we got coming up. And I've learned... If I want to get better as a musician, there are some people I know who are great about just practicing by themselves. I'm not one of those people. I do practice a little bit by myself. But I find if I want to become a better musician, the best thing I can do is practice my instrument with other people. Make space in my life where I'm playing regularly with other people and I become a better musician. Do you remember what it was like when you were a kid and you learned to brush your teeth. Does anybody remember that? I don't remember it either, but I saw how frustrating it was for my kids. <laughs> you remember. It's a lot easier now. Y'all got electric 
toothbrushes. Back in the day, we just cut a twig off a tree, and slice it up a little bit. And <laughs> my kids, when they first started, at least my daughter, when she first started brushing her teeth, um, they didn't have the electric toothbrushes or, or we couldn't afford them. And so uh, it, it's, if you watch a kid trying to learn how to brush their teeth, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, there's, there's all kind of complex motor movements and stuff. But at some point, you finally let your kids do it, you know, and they get cavities for the first couple of years because they don't know how to do it very well. <laughs> but at some point, they start brushing their teeth on their own, and you can take your hands off, and they, they just do that. And, and at some point, you get to a point in your life where it just becomes who you are, right? I suspect most of you did not have to put a Google reminder in your calendar today to, to wake up and brush your teeth before you left, right? I hope. I hope not. We will pray for you at the end. Uh, <laughs> most, you, just, you just do it. It's just what you do. When you wake up in the morning, you just brush your teeth. And it does, it's not hard. It's just part of your life. At the end of the day, God is calling us not to know about, uh, you know, just have good ideas about him doctrinally or theologically. He's calling us to embody these things. That's the incarnation. We wouldn't just tell people, God loves you. We become the love of God. We wouldn't just tell people, God will give you peace. We become the presence of peace around people. We don't just tell people that God is compassionate, but we, we actually become the compassion of God to other people. And one of the best ways that we can learn these things is in community. When we were passing out those, those coats in New Orleans yesterday, I loved it. I loved it. I was a little scared. If I'd have just been by myself, I'd have probably gone home. <laughs> but we had too many people, and I couldn't run away. But me and Dina, we, we got to sit down with this one couple. They had some sleeping bags over on the edge, and uh, we gave them a couple of coats, and we just sat there, and we listened to their story, looked them in the eye, gave them a hug, prayed for them. And, and I, I was just so... I was so moved, and I heard that from person after person on our team. I mean, we were only, I mean, it only took us like probably 45 minutes to distribute. It's not like we spent a big amount of time, but there was something about doing this kind of compassion stuff together that was just exciting, invigorating, and I think that for some reason, we think that that, that God is going to immediately download love and compassion and kindness into us just because we said yes to him, just because we believe in him, just because we come to church, and that's not the case. There's some miserable people I've met in church who got all kind of resentments because <laughs> they ain't practicing. And I think that what uh, my challenge, and I'm not going to tell you what practicing looks like. I have no, I mean, for everybody it's going to look different. There's some things you can certainly get involved in here. I'd say, don't do this alone. Find some other people that are heading the same direction and, and, and practice mercy and compassion and kindness together. And by the way, when you get together with some other people in this church to do some things, then you'll get to actually practice forgiveness too. Because that's the, that's the thing we don't ever talk about when we talk about community, how much we love community. Oh, I just want community. Yeah, until somebody offends you. Until you have problems and you got to be honest with somebody. Uh, 
but these are practices that God invites us to. I would hope that one day my knee-jerk reaction (laughs) to things is not just simply fight or flight. You know? I'd love for my knee-jerk reaction to be love. That when, 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 when I'm, I'm, I'm met by people who are opposing or, or, or when I'm ripped off or when somebody uh, does something wrong to me or talks about me, that my first instinct isn't to talk bad about them or to fight back or to run away in fear, but that I could actually settle down and pay attention to what the Spirit's doing and maybe see God move in something that's beyond <laughs> my thinking. And I think that that's what God has for, for each of us, that we would become that kind of community. So I just want to close today, because I could go on, but I won't. I want to invite my wife up here. She's talking in church with the bad kids. No. Um, <laughs> we're going to end this... this um, this service today by taking communion together. I want to invite Faith up here. And uh, let this just be a reminder to us. Let, let this reset our compass as we head into the new year. This, this God, has, as we sang about this morning, who, who stepped into our world, who became one of us, who's faced everything that we've faced, who even faced the worst on a cross, who's, whose body was broken for us whose blood was poured out so that we can live out the kingdom of God right now. We can actually live out heaven here and now. We can taste of the coming age that we are looking forward to in the here and now. So let's remember that as we come to the table and ask God as you're just reflecting on this right now, Lord, are there some, some ways you might be leading me in the, in the coming year to, to where I can practice these things with some other people, whatever that looks like. So... You can make your way forward. If this is your first time here, we, we take uh, this, this table is open to anybody who is uh, moving towards Jesus. This is, uh, the bread symbolizes the body of Christ broken for us. And the, the cup symbolizes the, the blood of Christ shed for us. We take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. So you can come up whenever you'd like.